Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about the conversations that can change a person's life. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. And we are, um, we're still, this is also being recorded like the last episode at the church. So a little different location, maybe a little different sound. You're actually hearing what Jared's voice sounds like without the uh, tons and tons of filters and layers that he puts on his own voice. <laughs> well, I got to make me sound a little more masculine, you know. Get that little booming, booming bass. Right. I actually add a John Mayer filter over my voice, if you can <laughs> Can, can the, does that come through at all? Yeah. Could you start using that on Sunday mornings during <laughs> singing time? <laughs> I wish. That would be awesome. I wish. That would be awesome. So here we are. It's um, Boy, we're o- it's almost to April. We're less oh, than a month from Easter, man. and it's just like life all around us. Mm. Spring, grass, birds, birds. Chirping. Oh, man. Birds are back in our backyard, which means Mickey, our dog, is out there losing his He's mind. probably killed does about 20, 25. care much about birds? Oh, he'll chase anything that moves. Really? Does oh, he? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a retriever, you know, so uh-huh. he's... Mickey's a hound, so he's like... He's yeah. he's crazy. He sees a bird, he loses his mind. Yeah. I don't think Rocket's as bad, because yeah. he's not that breed, but he'll definitely... He cha- he'll chase stuff all we over. We used to have, like, a small little family of rabbits, actually, that lived in the very back of our yard, up against the fence. We'd see him all the time, and since we got Mickey... We still see him in the neighborhood, so I know he didn't like may they, kill May them. they rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a chance there's other rabbits in the neighborhood. How do you know that's the same family oh, rabbits? Because they have they they look like the ones that we used to have. <laughs> they have a familial uh, resemblance. <laughs> so, but I think Mick has just made it impossible for them to safely live in our backyard. Yep. But, but uh, spring is always exciting because it just means winter is behind us, and um, you know that's right. I know that summer's your favorite season, correct? It is. Fall it is. is my favorite. So in either way, we are closer to our favorite seasons. That's right. Can't wait. Can't wait. Sun, barbecues, mm. pool time, pools. Yep. Yep. Going for long runs together. <laughs> Sweating well, like crazy. We don't have a weight loss update for you guys today. We will on our next episode. But maybe, maybe I, I will say recently when I've gone to the gym, I have started to do a little bit of running. Mm. I mean, most people would call it like a really awkward stumbling forward. Right. But when I saw you, I thought you were doing one of those brisk walking competitions. <laughs> you know, I like to run backwards on the treadmill. Actually, that's a thing. Yeah, I've seen people yeah. do it. Yeah. It looks crazy. Yeah. Well, I think go for it. You ever go seen someone it. running backwards on the treadmill at like a crazy high uh, <laughs> angle? <laughs> looks like they're. <laughs> Actually, I was, we were talking about this the other day. Anybody that goes to the gym, you can relate. Have you ever seen the videos of people that use gym equipment incorrectly? Yes. <laughs> you mean like the videos I make of myself? Right. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about you. You could be featured on some of those, but. Yeah, we're excited, and uh, we're excited to be back and bring a new episode of the podcast. Yeah, so last episode, we talked about questions that can change a person's life, and specifically, the three stages of questions that you ask in the process of discipling somebody to Jesus, in Jesus, and then uh, helping them to do the same for someone else. 
And when we got to that, like, that sort of middle stage of discipleship where you're just kind of feeding someone um, and you're encouraging them and you're strengthening them and you're helping them to grow in their faith, uh, today we want to talk about conversations that can change a person's life. And when we have these one-on-ones, so envision yourself sitting down, having coffee with a friend that you're discipling, uh, what should the content of that conversation look like? Because one of the problems that you expressed in the last episode, which we should... Uh, mention again is sometimes we have conversation, we have friendships and relationships that outpace the conversations we're having within them. So in other words, we have this great established trust and friendship, but we don't know how to have spiritual conversations within the context of that relationship. And so we've come up with these five categories, these five buckets, whatever you want to call them, uh, of different um, ways to fill that conversation in a way that can change someone's life. And all five of them, just to say up front, this is not a pick and choose. I think we need all five of these. And maybe at the end, yeah. we can just talk about the danger of relying too heavily on one over the other. But the first thing is that when you are discipling someone, when you're helping someone to move from unbelief to belief in the gospel in every area of their lives, number one, the conversations need to include solid doctrine. Doctrine Mm -hmm. is maybe an old-fashioned sounding word, but it just basically is what do you believe about God, what do you believe about humankind, and what do you believe about the world? And the answer to those questions are often the most important things about us, and they inform everything about us. And Paul was uh, talking to his young mentee, Timothy, who was a young pastor in Ephesus. He said, pay close attention to your doctrine and your life. And so there is this clear uh, emphasis throughout Scripture, other verses that say, study to show yourself approved, and highlights the Bereans who were people who went to Scripture to to make sure that they understood what they were being taught was actually true. So... If you're going to disciple someone, it starts with really having solid doctrine, a good theology of understanding who God is, who we are, and what we're called to do. So why do you think this is so important in the context of making disciples, solid doctrine? Yeah, it's it's hugely important because what you believe um, influences how you live. Essentially, how you live... Um, flows out of what you believe about God, what your doctrine is. And so when you face life circumstances, and you, and you, we've all seen this in people, we've all probably recognized it in our own lives. When we maybe thought we believed something or say, s- said we'd believe something, and then something happened in our life, a circumstance, and it kind of reveals what our actual doctrine really was. Yeah. For example, we sing songs and say that we trust in God above all things else. But then when something comes our way, whether it's a financial challenge or a relational breakdown, we find that maybe we don't trust in God above everything else. Right. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And so doctrine is hugely important. And it's not when we when we talk about the idea of solid doctrine, I think it's important to say this is not about this is not just an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, you've got to learn um, whatever the these characteristics or these twelve things, or you've got to go to seminary. It's not an academic yeah. intellectual it's not exercise. Not just systematic theology. Right? Exactly. It's it's about it's seeping into your heart, not just your head. So moving moving stuff from your head to your heart. But why it's so important is because. What, we'll, what you'll realize now is as we're discipling people, there are people that have all different types of doctrine. 
for sure. All different types of stuff. Some may be really inexperienced, and maybe they didn't grow up in church. They have, but they still have a doctrine. They've picked up little bits and pieces along the way. Um, others, and sometimes these are even more harder to disciple, are people that did grow up in the church and kind of walked away or didn't have a relationship. And depending on what their exposure is, and um, you know, with internet technology today, this is we there's. Your people, the people you're discipling, can watch all kinds of different sermons and teachers of the Bible online, and some of them are not necessarily what we would call solid doctrine, right? So um, recognizing and understanding that, man, I've got to lean into this conversation, and I've got to, number one, make sure I understand what solid doctrine is in my life, and then help begin to um, infuse that into the person who I'm discipling. And sometimes they'll say something that will reveal something they believe to be true about God. Yeah. And so um, I remember talking with someone one time, and he was I was relaying to him the story of our youngest daughter who was born three months early, spent all this time in the NICU, has cerebral palsy. And he just said to me, and I don't know that he was a believer. I was kind of new to him, but he's just like, that makes me so angry. You must just be so angry that that could happen. And just a sense of like, he was trying to sympathize with me, but the way he was doing it revealed something that he believed about God, that God owes, quote unquote, good people a good life. Yeah. And so it gives you the opportunity to say, you know, anger is a really natural reaction, and, I, and I've been working through that, and I, you know, I understand that. But what I believe about God is, you know, that he doesn't owe, you know, what he's given me is right. so great that he doesn't owe me an easy life. He doesn't owe me healthy children. He doesn't owe me this, that, or the other. And so looking for moments where what they say reveals what they believe about the nature of God or, uh, man, I really must have messed up because I've, you know, I'm God, you know, I really must have messed up because I've had a really bad week. What yeah. do they believe about God? That when they don't do the right things, God's out there trying to punish them and ruin their lives. Yeah. So you have to listen for opportunities to sort of combat maybe unhealthy wrong doctrine with good solid doctrine and do it in a way that is not condescending that is not just sort of like as a teacher to a student but as a friend or a friend saying you know one of the things that i'm learning about god that helps me with this is god is and then good yeah. doctrine about the nature of who god is and the yeah. character of god yeah another way you can do this is through asking questions and if you didn't listen to our last episode i encourage you to Go back and listen to that, maybe even before listening to this one, because it really kind of is a um, a, follow, a lead into this episode. But we talked all about questions that you can ask. And so um, this is sometimes asking the right questions can reveal a lot. Like I'll, I'll give an example. I was praying with someone one time and they were they were asking praying for a physical healing. And the way in which they were talking about it, I could tell that what they wanted even more than God, like their ultimate God was actually this healing. It wasn't mm. actually God. And so I remember asking them a question like, well, let me ask you like, and this is kind of a, can be taboo depending on the circle of that you're in. It was like, you have no faith. But I said, if you don't receive this healing, how will you feel about God? Mm. You know, and it revealed a lot that what they ultimately were trusting in was in the miracle that they wanted, not ultimately God. And so sometimes asking those questions will help reveal um, some of the areas that they're not so solid in. I think before we move forward to the next category, it's important to say there's a book out there called, I think it's called Theological Triage, which is a weird combination of words. But when you go to the emergency room, they, the first thing you do is you go to triage. And triage is basically where they kind of decide what level of priority you are in terms of how soon you need to be treated. If you just have a, you know, an upset stomach, you're going to be low on the list. If your arm is hanging off your body, you're going to be high on the list, right? Well, my, both of my arms are hanging off my body. Yeah, well, oh, hanging by a thread. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Thanks for the cl- thanks for clarifying that for just, our listeners. Just for any of doctors out there listening. Yeah, your arms are supposed to hang off your body, technically. <laughs> um, so with theological triage, here's what you're doing. What are the doctrinal issues that are non-negotiable? Jesus, the Son of God, for example. Jesus, the only way to be saved. God, the creator of all life. Um, Jesus is returning. Uh, the church, the role of the church, the role of the Holy Spirit. Some really important things. But then what are some of the lesser doctrinal issues that may not be worth all the energy and time. So yeah. when we talk about solid doctrine, we're not talking about forcing your preferences and your interpretation about end times and about creation and about every little thing onto the people you disciple. Right. We're talking about fighting for the core, the essentials, right? I think yep. it's Augustine who often gets attributed with saying, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, or liberty, or sorry, in non-essentials, liberty, and all things charity. Yep. And so solid doctrine. The second category here is godly counsel. And it's important that we use that adjective, godly, uh, because it's not just giving people advice based on what you think. Godly counsel is based on what you believe God has revealed through the scriptures about how we ought to live our lives. And many times the way into disciple-making relationships is through counsel. People come looking for spiritual counsel, for guidance, for advice. And we need to be ready as disciple makers to be able to provide people with godly counsel when they're facing decisions. Now, I'll say this, and then I want to ask you a question. Sometimes this is easy because the scriptures speak very clearly to an issue. You know, should I, you know, leave my family, abandon them, and go after this person? No, because the scriptures teach very uh, clearly about the sacredness of marriage. Should I rob this bank? No, of course not. Should I kill someone? No, right? So there's some that are, like, super obvious. But then there's a lot of gray areas in life, too, where there's room for differing and different thoughts. What does godly counsel look like in those moments when you're discipling somebody and they're simply wrestling with a decision like, what job should I take? Where should I go to school? Um, should yeah. I, you know, should I move? Stuff like that. Yeah. For me, um, and we've talked a lot about this, but framing framing the idea of godly counsel in, the, in terms of idolatry and lack of belief in the gospel and what my heart is trusting and helps me counsel other people in some of these gray areas. Because there's some things that wouldn't, my godly counsel for myself would be that, hey, there's no problem with this. But for this person, it is a problem, right? So, for example, let's take your Netflix addiction. Hey. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought we were getting real here. It's Peacock. Oh, Peacock addiction, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, for, you know, we could take any category, right? Like eating, um, Netflix. It could even be exercise. Anything can become an ultimate thing in people's lives. And so, for me, that's, that's a helpful thing is trying to help them assess and frame in the terms of, okay, well, what are you trusting in more than Jesus? And how do we apply the gospel to this thing in your life? So, you use, I think you used an example of like, oh, should I take this job? Well, that's a difficult question for us to just answer for somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, we really probably don't want to. Um, that's, but we'll, that's actually good wisdom. <laughs> Careful about how direct you are with your advice because you're going to be held responsible for right. the outcome. But what we could say is, well, share with me, like, why is this appealing to you? What, what do you think about this? And, and in, in that, you may reveal some things that their heart is trusting in that are not good. Or good. you may reveal, like, hey, this, this seems like your motivations are pure. This seems like, have you heard from the Lord on this? Um, and so in those gray areas, that's how I like to try to think about godly counsel is helping expose or reveal either their trust in things other than Jesus or their ultimate trust in Jesus in in those decisions. Yeah, one of the most helpful 
messages I've ever heard on this topic was from Andy Stanley when he talked about the best question ever. I think actually think it's a book, uh, but it was a message first. And he says, the best question ever is not always, is it right or wrong? Because sometimes we don't know if it's right or wrong. It's not clear or there's room for different opinions. He said, the best question ever is, is it wise? And he gave these three filters through which to consider questions in the light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams. What is the wise decision for me to make? Mm. And that is such a potentially life-saving question because a lot of times the, or filter, because a lot of times the, the wrong decisions we make are preceded by a series of unwise decisions. And if somewhere along the way we had just made the wise decision, we never would have ended up in a position to make the wrong decision, yeah. right? And so I think, um, you know, there are questions related to morality that are not clearly right or wrong. Should I spend time alone with this person? Should I go to lunch with this person who I work with? Was it right or wrong? Probably not right or wrong. I mean, unless your spouse asks you not to, then maybe it's wrong. But you may want to say, in light of where I've been, where I am, and where I want to be, is this the wise thing yeah. for me to do? Yeah. It's not living in fear. It's, it's living in wisdom, knowing yourself. And so for some people, maybe it would be okay. But for other people, based on things they've struggled with or where they're at and where they want to go, it wouldn't be wise. So a lot of times godly counsel comes down to bring people to Scripture for wisdom and to ask them to look at themselves in three ways, where they've been, where they are, and where they would like to be in the future. Godly counsel. That's good. So we got solid doctrine, godly counsel. And then the third thing that we are giving to people in these one-on-one conversations is gospel friendship. And I guess this is probably, maybe we even should have led with this because this is so foundational to the other two. Yeah. If you are not sharing your life in a generous way um, and giving your life away in a sort of a gospel-motivated generosity and focus, then a lot of these other things will just end up being empty. Yep. If, I, if I don't know you, you don't trust me, we haven't done life together, we're not friends, then my counsel is easily dismissible, and my doctrine is just kind of um, somewhat, you know, it's mine, but what is it, who, who cares, right? Yep. So what does this look like in, in giving yourself to someone in a gospel friendship way? Yeah, and, and I, before I answer that, I would say I actually think this is the, the thing that we tend to struggle with the most, if you look at the church today, this is this is the area where people drop the ball the most. A lot of people are quick to give counsel. They're quick to um, spout their doctrine, but they're not great at being friends. Mm. Um, and, and I would say that that's probably one of the most important needs we have. So gospel friendship to me means selflessly pouring out your life to, into somebody else to help them become the person God wants them to be. Good. And so, um, so that means ultimately, and not, and ultimately, friendship doesn't always feel like a sacrifice, but it's a willing sacrifice of um, your time, your talent, sometimes even your treasure, sometimes the things that you hold on to to um, engage in deep relationship with another person and to fight for the the good of their life and the good of their walk with the Lord, and um, and that means that means time commitment. It means spending time with them. It means inviting them, inconveniencing yourself oftentimes, and inviting them to to your home and to your family. And um, and I think as the gospel works in our heart, the thing is that this it starts to feel like less of an inconvenience, but sometimes it still feels that way. Yeah, but as, as the gospel works in our hearts, that mission flows out of us to go. You're my brother, my sister. You're my family. I want to bring you in, and um, and so, so in a very general sense, that's what I would say it looks like at the end of the day. Yeah, 
And I would even, you, something you said kind of jumped out at me. You talked about giving sacrificially of your life, and you talked about the inconvenience aspect of gospel friendship. I would even venture to say that if it's not, if it doesn't feel inconvenient at times, it may not be the sort of friendship that Jesus is calling us to offer. Yeah. Right? Um, if we are giving away friendship only in a way that is self-rewarding and fits within our rhythms and calendar and isn't costing us anything or inconveniencing us in any ways. And I'm, you know, I'm still for obviously wise boundaries in life and I, I get all that, but we don't really err in that direction often when it comes to discipleship. Most of the American church would err in the other direction, which is uh, having friendships that don't cost you anything. Yeah. Um, giving your life in a way that is convenient for you. I mean, we even have ways that people can sign up to serve in church and they can block dates and they can pick the weekends that they want to serve and they can pick the teams they want to serve on and even the, the people that they want to serve with in some cases, right? Which is fine. But at the end of the day, like the gospel should make us so generous with our lives that we're willing to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the mission of making disciples. And so one great reflection question, if you're listening, is to ask yourself, how are the friendships in my life costing me something? Like, mm. what is inconvenient about this in such a inconvenient not just for the sake of inconvenience but inconvenient for the sake of discipleship right. and that you know listen the more you give your friendship away is that the right way to say it? the more you build friendship with people who need jesus it's gonna get a little messy right yep. you're not gonna agree on everything they're gonna dis they're not gonna like certain stands that you take they're gonna live their lives maybe in ways that don't fit the way that you live your life but you're still making room for them because of gospel yep. friendship and two things I hear from people of why they don't do this, and I think it's important to address is, one, they say, well, no one's doing it for me. Mm. That may be true, but you got to do for others what you wish was done for you. Yeah. So be the friend that you wish you had. That's good. And I think that's a really important reminder. Um, and then the, the second thing is to remind yourself that you're doing for this person what you hope and want them to do for another person. So if you're discipling someone, how, how good of a friend you are, how much you inconvenience your life, how much you bring them into the fold, remember, you're modeling to them what you want them to do. And oftentimes we expect others to do way more than we're willing to do. So I think those are two kind of things that we got to keep in mind when we're doing this. Yeah, a really interesting thought based on your second point there is, like, a lot of times we have family members that don't, that are not following Jesus and we're not the best person to disciple them just because it's tough, right? Family, family, that can be really challenging, lots of uh, baggage, lots of background there. But even thinking in terms of to take what you were saying and push it up to a more specific level, like I'm going to share my life with this person the way I wish someone would share their life with my cousin. Mm, that's good. Or my mom or yeah. my child, right? And so using that as a, as a metric. All right, solid doctrine, godly counsel, gospel friendship, fourth bucket category. When we sit down with someone one-on-one, -on -one, we are sharing life experience. And this is about an appropriate level of transparency. This is about honesty. This is about even being willing to show the ways in which you've had to grow in your trust in Jesus and still are. Um, now some people, this is the easiest one, in fact, some people will only do this. They just want to talk about their life. Yeah. And just every time I've been around people who as soon as someone says something about their life, they immediately kind of one-up them. Oh, you went through that? Well, I went through this. And let me take the next 20 minutes to tell you about what I went right. through. I'm not saying there's never a place for that, but be careful here. You are wanting to share life experience because that sort of self-revealing nature of the conversation often invites them to feel comfortable to do the same. Yep. But... And this is where we, maybe we can get a little bit forward in this conversation. The danger of life experience without solid doctrine is sometimes there's things we're going to teach from our life that are not actually true from Scripture. 
or the danger of life experience without godly counsel is we're just telling them our mess, but we're not helping them know how to apply it to their lives, right? Yep. And life experience apart, divorced from gospel friendship is like, why is this stranger telling me all this stuff about him right. or herself? So yep. these all work together. But in your experience of making disciples, I know you've poured your life into a lot of young men when you were discipling a uh, discipleship pastor in Long Island. What, how have you used this, this bucket of life experience to help people grow? I, th I think, I, in my mind, I would treat my life experience as a valuable asset, but it's to be handled carefully. Because one of the, and you kind of touched on this, right? One of the problems is that we make the assumption that everything that I went through and my experience automatically and equally applies to anybody else that I'm discipling. And you can, you can find benefit there, but it's not the case. Right. So an example I'll give you, um, you, you hear all the time people that talk about marriages say, hey, um, we, you know, every week my wife and I go on a date night and this is 100 percent. You should you should be doing this. And that's great. That's great. Life experience has been transformational, but not everyone can do that because of life circumstances and ability and sure, all that schedules, kind of stuff. Child schedule. Care, right. Lots of stuff, yeah. So sometimes the assumption we assume my life experience my marriage, my kids, my situation is the same for everybody else, and we make the mistake at not really getting to know there. So there's, I think with life experience, what you got to do is pull the principles out. That's good. You got to like eat the meat, spit out the bones. You pull the principle out, and then you help apply the principle to their life experience. But the problem is that takes a little work, and oftentimes we don't do that. We just rubber stamp everything we've did onto someone else's life and it, it doesn't always work. So we need to move from being descriptive or just descriptive to, uh, or sorry, sorry, the danger is we move from being descriptive to prescriptive. Yeah. Right, so we're describing how we live this out, but then we're also trying to prescribe to them how they should, right. which actually also sort of removes the role of the Holy Spirit who's the one who's supposed to lead us and guide us into truth and convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So like the example that you gave, let's say you and Jen go out and go out every week and you've protected this date night. You know, I know that's not been your rhythm, but let's just say this is you. How dare you? Um, well, I know because, you know. I've been um, begging you to. Because I refuse to babysit, babysit kids. kids. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's say this is your rhythm. How could you make that a principle that can help someone else that you're, that you're discipling who's struggling with their marriage? Right. So the principle would be intentionally investing in your relationship. And as you're getting to know, this is where the gospel friendship comes in because you're learning about their life, right? So you're saying maybe you find out, like, um, okay, they don't have family around. Getting babysitters is really difficult. Or maybe, maybe they have a child that it's really challenging for them to disengage. And sure, so special needs or disability. Exactly. Or, yeah. So you're saying, okay, here's the principle and then you're helping them go, and you're saying, hey, you know what? Something that we found really helpful is trying to find time when we can really invest in our relationship. What would that look like for you? Yeah. And maybe it doesn't have to look the same, but that's the principle. So, I mean, to start to bring this together a little bit, the solid doctrine is the idea of healthy marriages, that God cares about our marriages, that our marriages are meant to, in many ways, reflect his beauty and the way that he loves us. The godly counsel is the idea of taking this example, right, of having a regular date night with your wife and then making it godly counsel is really moving it from prescriptive to principle. Yeah. But then gospel friendship is knowing their life, but maybe even saying, I know this is hard for you guys. We, if we can help once a month, take your kid, 
Yeah. We, like that, I mean, that's when you start that's talking the, about inconvenience. That's right. Right. That's the next level. So, yep. and we're not doing it just because I see the way you're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wait. that is true. And I'll tell a real life story. When I was a young adult pastor in Bethlehem, this is one of the ways as we were discipling young adults that they they started to build gospel friendship in our lives and support my wife and I. Mm. Um, and it was such a game changer for us where they would come in for no charge. They would watch our kids. And um, and it was amazing because it helped us invest in our relationship. And so to your point, um, there's sacrificial ways that you can take your life experience and pour into the gospel friendship aligned with the, the godly doctrine and all those other things. So. Yeah. So the last category is spiritual gifts. And this is probably the one that maybe um, I'm it's maybe the hardest one to talk about, but a spiritual gift according to the New Testament is any time that the Spirit of God reveals, gives us something that we wouldn't naturally have to give to someone else. Yeah. So this is not time, talent, treasure, which we sort of naturally have. This is sometimes the Spirit of God prompts our hearts in a way where we feel like we have something to speak into someone's life. Or sometimes the Spirit may even give us a dream or wake us up in the middle of the night to pray for somebody with their name on our heart or in our mind. And so I, I want to make sure we don't overlook this one because we do believe that the Spirit continues to speak and leads and directs his people into the accomplishment of Jesus' mission of making disciples. But um, one thing I would say up front is I think the safest I don't know if safest is the right word. Maybe the wisest way to exercise spiritual gifts. Let's say we're sitting together, and I say, you know, this morning I was praying, and, and I just had the, and, and I felt like the Spirit said to me, like, Jared is struggling with, you know, whatever, trusting in me in this area, right? And I wouldn't come to you that morning and say, thus saith the Lord. You're struggling. Yeah, you you've done that from, before. Well, I wouldn't do it anymore. Right, right. I wouldn't right. do it anymore. And uh, instead I would say, man, I was... I, you just kind of came to mind this morning, and I just felt like, you know, I just, I felt, I kind of sensed that maybe there was something going on that I just wanted to ask you, like, how are you doing with this? Or, you know, I feel like, and if, the cool thing is, is in those moments where, that, where, that, where there is that connection in that moment of like, oh my goodness, that's, that is true, you're able to not take the glory for yourself, like, well, that's because I'm a really good listener, but you're able to say, look at how much the Holy Spirit loves you. Mm. Like, the Spirit reminded me of you this morning to pray for you. And so this could be a word of knowledge, like I feel like the Lord's telling me this, a word of, but be careful with this because this can also get a little messy in terms of like trying to direct people's lives because there's nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit. He's perfect, but we're the vehicles that are imperfect. So we need to have a little humility and a little wisdom even in how we exercise spiritual gifts. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's two, I think people tend to fall into two categories in this, especially before they've reached kind of a level of maturity. And, and again, these are, these are gifts that the Lord gives. Not everybody has the same gifts. Sure. So the two categories of this, one is I think the first one that you, which is we become overconfident in, in this. So everything we think is a word from the Lord for a person. And that's a mistake. I think we need to have humility. But then the other side is, and I think there's also people that, that are this, where we have zero confidence that the Lord would speak to us or use us in that way. Yeah. So maybe we feel a nudging but we're too scared that I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look stupid. What if I'm wrong? Um, and so we're unwilling to exercise that spiritual gift. And so I think the more mature that you become, and one of the ways that you become more mature is as you feel a prompting, you could even ask somebody that has a greater level of maturity than you and say, what do you think about this? You, you obviously, if you go to that person and kind of step out in faith, you do it with great level of humility like you touched on. 
Um, and then you get confirmation, like, oh, that was the Lord. God did use use me. And um, I think the more that you, if, if you exercise the spiritual gifts and they're evidenced and confirmed by people, you grow in some confidence in that, right? So, but I think you got to figure out where you're at. Am I a person who tends to be overconfident in that? Um, and maybe I need to be have a little more wisdom, or do I have no confidence in that? And maybe God wants to wants to use me in some different ways. Yeah, and the last thing that I would say about spiritual gifts is that although we have a few lists in the New Testament, First Corinthians twelve being one of the main ones, and then there's other ones throughout the Scripture, I don't think Paul ever intended to give us the exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. So my wife's an amazing listener; like she's just patient and she listens to people and it blesses people. I think that's a spiritual gift because that's not something that we all naturally want to do. Um, and so I think. Even just the gift of listening, the gift of presence, the gift of kindness, the gift of mercy. Of course, faith is a gift that we can exercise. Gift of cooking. The gift of baking. Yep. Yes, the gift of back rubs. Like all those, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those sort. But there are spiritual gifts that we can exercise in a way. And anytime the Spirit is working through us to strengthen someone else, I think it's a spiritual gift. Yeah. And we need to. So, in summary, we have these five buckets, categories solid doctrine. What does the Bible have to say? Godly counsel gospel friendship, life experience, and spiritual gifts. And so when you sit down with someone and you have a one-on-one with them, have these five in mind and ask yourself, do I always default to one to the exclusion of the other four? Am I only using two? Like, I think all five are important and necessary, and any one of them on their own out of balance is a problem. If you're just doing spiritual gifts all the time and trying to prophesy over people, but you don't have solid doctrine or gospel friendship, it's just not going to bear fruit, right? And so I think we bring these together, and we find that we can have conversations that could change someone's life. The stronger you get in each one of them, the more potent each you get. So they all all rise. All right, awesome. Well, we're going to conclude with our portion called David's Eats. We're not only making better leaders, but better eaters. And this is inspired by a little meal my wife made the other day. We had some carnitas, kind of Mexican-inspired meal. And so I... Yeah, slow-cooked pork. Yeah, I don't... You know, I don't hear from you a lot. You're more of an Asian preference guy. I want to hear, what's your favorite, like, Mexican or Spanish-inspired food dish? If you could have one. Well, my guilty pleasure is nachos, which okay. I don't... I, you know, I don't know if that's too American to well, kind of... Well, I mean, but, you know, I what was are in, they looking like? What are know, they having? Well, I, I, I'm a, I want everything on it. You know, I'm... I'm a, well, first of all, what kind of protein? I like carnitas. Okay, I, I, yeah. You know, I think slow-cooked pork is great um, on nachos. I like... Um, you know, I like all you know, lots of melted cheese. I like all the vegetables. I like white onion. I love white onions, black olives, tomatoes. You like I, the I'm crunch. a cilantro fan, so I gotta have cilantro on it. I anything green in Mexican food, I love. So cilantro, green chilies, jalapenos, hmm. even like the green salsa verde, guacamole. Um, guacamole, yes. Thank you for reminding me of guacamole, sour hmm. cream. Like there's basically nothing that I don't want on there. Even sometimes I like pineapple on it with pork. Okay, now you've and, gone and too so far. Th- that's probably Probably my probably my favorite is just like a huge plate of like two twenty five hundred calories of nachos. Twenty five hundred. Uh, that's being generous. I, I was thinking more four thousand. <laughs> yeah, nothing like a great a great plate of nachos. Although, if anyone can solve this problem, which is how do you get cheese on the underlayer of those chips? That's the only problem with nachos. But hey, hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for listening to the Multiply Podcast. If you can do us a favor. Head over, give us a like, five-star rating, um, share with anybody else, get the word out. We're excited to be back recording, and uh, we hope it's a blessing to you guys. So thanks so much. We'll see you on the next episode.